0: you know. This announcement. Braille's side to his temperament, the mad side of genius. Cantonar is dismissed. Where can there be a place in the game for a- Welcome to Divers and Cheats, episode three. My name is Carter Christian, I'm your host. You can interact with me at KKFLA737 on Twitter, and we hope to hear from you tonight, uh, each and every one of our listeners. Again, that's at KKFLA737 on Twitter. Tonight's topic the transfer window. A necessary evil, or is it something that is not necessary in this world of football? I have a very strong opinion of this. We're right now in the middle of the summer transfer window. Football headlines, everything in the media, even discussions in the middle of games. The analysis given by announcers while you're watching Premier League games, let's say on NBC here in the United States or when league matches on Fox or if you're over in the UK watching on Sky Sports. is all predicated around the transfer window being open and what changes might be made for each individual team as the transfer window gets ready to shut at the end of August. August 31st, of course, is when the transfer window typically closes. And then, of course, we have other transfer windows, a secondary transfer window in January in Europe, in most European leagues. So that's the situation with the transfer window. Now, here's my opinion. Here's my take on the transfer window. I think the transfer window is a debacle of epic proportions. First off, I think it's media driven. I think it gives uh, people like Jim White on Sky Sports, the, his shtick is, is, is screaming, right, uh, at the end of the transfer window. It gives uh, journalists, it gives writers, it gives TV networks, it gives others around the sport uh, an ability to overblow something. I-, I think even when you look at Sky Sports' spending ticker in each transfer window, it's just this kind of artificially propped up thing. Secondly, it allows agents to hold football clubs hostage. I think with a finite deadline of August 31st, and January 31st that secondary window opens January 1st closes January 31st there is this ability for agents to say to clubs particularly to clubs that may not have the sort of resources that some of the bigger clubs do to hold hostage the executives of the, of these football clubs and enforcing all sorts of changes in order to afford one guy, you have to sell another guy, etc., etc., etc. I don't like the transfer window. I've never liked the transfer window. I don't think that it's a useful exercise for football clubs to come into a season. Several clubs right now. Let's just take England for example. Several clubs coming into the season will make wholesale changes between the day the season kicked off on August eighth and close of the transfer window on August 31st, four whole match days before that transfer window closes, and then the opportunity to make more changes January 1st through January 31st, but you can't do anything with your squad between September 1 and December 31st unless you have uh, three goalkeepers get injured, let's say, and there's an emergency dispensation for keepers because that's a special position and you can sign keepers outside the window. So basically the transfer window allows a situation where agents can hold clubs hostage. Clubs can go through an entire preseason with a set of players that they know they're going to jettison off. They're in the shop window in preseason games. Those guys get sold the first couple weeks of the season. New guys come in right before the transfer window and then they spend September in October, trying to meld those guys into the squad. Happens a lot. Happened with Manchester United last season. Happened with Liverpool last season. Liverpool never got, got it together. Happening with Liverpool again this season. Interestingly enough, in the Premier League this season, the club that's gotten off to the quickest start, Manchester City, made one significant change prior to today, uh, that the signing of Raheem Sterling, who they integrated very nicely. They signed him earlier. He went to Australia, uh, mixed with the club well, and uh, has played very well in his first two games. Today they signed Mendy. I'm going to get back to that transfer in a minute, because that I think is indicative of some of the problems we're seeing with the market as it is. So my solution, and and, and folks, interact with... uh, with me, tell me if you think I'm I'm all wet or you think that this is this is a viable solution. I have one of two options. One is to keep the transfer window open or not really have a window. Okay. Allow for the transfer players between divisions within a, a single country until March thirty first. Transfer window opens or your ability to sign players and make uh, transfer deals opens on July 1st. It ends March 31st. So you've got basically the entirety of the season to do this. I understand that there are international transfer restrictions. We'll get into that in, in a little bit. But one of the things I would do is if there are problems between leagues cor- uh, coordinating, leagues corresponding, you can have a tra- international transfer window. Let's say again, let's use England as an example. It's the most common. This is the league that I think most people who listen to this program and and, and, uh, read our website at worldsoccertalk.com follow. Maybe you can close the international transfer window on August 31st or September 15th or October 1st or something something like that, but you can allow for transfers within the league and with teams in the championship, League 1, League 2, straight through until March 31st, and then the international window will open back up January 1st or December 15th, close January 31st or February 15th, whatever. That's one solution. The other solution is to open the transfer window June 1st instead of July 1st and shut it at the start of each country's domestic campaign. So the Premier League window would have shut August 7th, the day before the August 8th opener. The Bundesliga window would have shut August 13th the day before the August uh, 14th opener, and so on and so forth. It's another option. Those are the two options I like. I do not like the current transfer window. Tell me what you think. Interact with me at Twitter at KKFLA737 or at World Soccer Talk. Leave a comment here in the comment box on rabble.tv. Have your say with this transfer window madness. Let me explain some of my reasons for why I believe the transfer window is a real uh, nuisance right now. I think there's this artificial expectation around supporters and around fans that Man Media, who cover teams quite frankly, that dominates the first couple of weeks of the season. Remember a couple of years ago, Arsene Wenger, one of the most successful managers in the history, or at least in the recent history of English football, What were the crowds saying at the Emirates? Spend, spend, spend. And he had to spend before August 31st, right? Because the transfer window was shutting. It creates this expectation where the first few results of a season are magnified. If a team loses its opener, it's all of a sudden, oh, they have to spend. They have to buy this one. They have to buy that one. If they win their opener, oh, that team's fine. They don't need to do anything. They really don't have any deficiencies. Creates an artificial expectation, artificial perception of, of football clubs. There's also, I think, a worrying and growing trend in the media to cover the first few results of the season. And we see it right now in the Premier League. We see it right now in the Bundesliga. We're going to see it in Spain and Italy when we opening, starting this weekend. Thankfully, their season started a little later, so they've only got a week or two of this, this this nonsense. But every result, every match report, everything that happens in a match is viewed within the context of that transfer window. And is this one being sold? Is this one going to be replaced? Is this one uh, 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 in the shop window? Does Chelsea need to sign this guy? Does Aston Hill need to sign that guy? really changes how we watch football, how we cover football, the transfer window. And every time those columns are written, every time those comments are made on television, the agents get greedier and get richer. They need to sign Diego Costa last season for Chelsea, and the inflated price they paid for him was due largely to agent fees. The Bloody saw not as much of that fee as you would think they, would. They, they saw. And that's just one example. So the agents were making out like bandits with this transfer window, uh, had it been a situation where the transfer window was open, permanently open until March 31st, let's say, then there wouldn't have been the need for Chelsea to, 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 to close that deal so early, Or although perhaps they would have because they wanted him for the beginning of the season, and that's... That's a whole other thing. If you, if you sign a player before the beginning of the season, you're able to take him on preseason tours and integrate him in the squad, that's perfectly fine. And, and under any scenario I lay out, that would still be permissible. But the idea now that, and, and let's take this from today's perspective, Manchester United has lost out on Otamendi. We're going to get to him in a minute. They've lost out on Pedro. Suddenly, Louis Van Gaal is going to be, and Ed Woodward are going to be, under a lot of pressure to close a deal. And the agent of whatever player they might target, Mane from Southampton, is the latest name. <laughs> they're going to they're going be driving up that cost, and then there, there's also the the possibility of hanky panky. Chelsea likes to hijack deals. They might jump in and uh, and say, "Hey, we want uh, we want Mane." Now, of course, we're probably just going to turn around and roll him out to some, some other place, but we, we would love to have Mane. And because we want him, uh, then Manchester United has to pay more, right? You have to pay a higher price for him. So that's, um, that's another point, uh, concern. Now, here's something else. Oda Mendy signs today with Manchester City. I thought it was uh, an interesting signing, considering how well Mangala has played in the first two games, and the captain, Vincent company, who we know is not being replaced. Manchester City also has a very good young player, Jason Denaire, who um, was on loan last season at Celtic, made the uh, best 11 in the Scottish League, and, and is now working into the Belgian national team. And I think everyone who listens realizes how talented Belgium is. To do. Arguably, the best national team just played player in the world. Uh, certainly, they're one of the top three, along with Argentina and Germany. I think consensus would be those three uh, nations have the most talented talent right now in international football. I would argue Belgium has the most, but others might argue Argentina or Germany. That's fine. So Denier has broken into that national team. He's playing for Belgium regularly. Not called in for the qualifiers this summer, including that, that shocking defeat to Wales. And I know uh as an aside some folks were were alarmed on Twitter earlier today when I said that. Gareth Bale, he's British when he does well, he's Welsh when he doesn't do it so well, right? Uh, that's that's the narrative from some of the press. Look, the media, they have their own biases. Let's not pretend like they don't. And that's uh, that's that's one of them. But anyway, the nair is, is at Manchester City also. Martin D. Michaelis, who was Manchester City's best defender last season, he's still at the club. He's returned late from Copa America, obviously, because Argentina went on to win the final. Yet they've signed Nicholas Odamendi. What is this deal all about? Why has Manchester City signed him? Well, my opinion is that Manchester City signed him for two reasons. One, they don't want Manchester United to have him. Manchester United struck out on Sergio Ramos. Now they've struck out on Mendy. They need a central defender. Daley Blind is playing a central defender. The second reason they've signed Odemendi is Alvaro Negredo was, tra- was transferred from Manchester City to Valencia on a deferred payment plan. Valencia, very successful club in Spain, but they've got some financial problems and obviously they've done a lot of business with Premier League clubs before. Juan Marta to Chelsea, David Silva to Manchester City, many years ago. Silva's now a the, the city. David Villa to Barcelona, not a Premier League club. But that, that, they, I mean they've, they've, they've had a great generation of players that they've been able to, to their team. But like many of the clubs in the Spanish League, partly because of where Spain's economy is currently, and Spanish government collecting on back taxes and on fees that these football clubs owe, Valencia is not in great financial shape. So they, they bought Legreno from Manchester City on a deferred payment plan. And guess what? They couldn't they, – there's still 24 million pounds in the hole to Manchester City. Not only is Manchester City – Manchester City doesn't necessarily need that money. But what Manchester City needs is their books to be balanced against financial fair play. And without the 25, 24 million coming in from Valencia, they can't balance the books, right? You have to break even now. That's the, that's the rule in UEFA. Financial fair play, another issue. That comes into this transfer discussion in a minute. So because of that, Manchester City needs Valencia to be able to pay for Negredo, at least on paper, so that they can dot the I's and cross the T's on that transaction Anyway, because that's okay, Manchester City is broken even. So what do they do? Manchester City basically pays like $8 million or $10 million for Odomendi. And that means Odamendi's value, $35 million, $32 million, whatever it is, Subtract the $24 million, that deal's done. But again, this has happened because the other club is in some sort of financial uh, straits where they have to sell a player. We've seen, this, we've seen this repeatedly with, with teams. I think the first, first time we saw it was when Leeds desperately had to get rid of players. Ten to twelve years ago, they had to get rid of Ferdinand. They had to get him off the books. They had to get Alan Smith off the books. Both those guys went to Manchester United. They had to get Robbie Keane off the books. He went to the Spurs. They had to get Paducah and Kewell off the books. They went their own way. And clubs, when they're under pressure, and there's a transfer window, and they have to sell a player by a certain date because the window shuts, and they're in financial distress, they have to they have to sell. They have to dump players. Guess what? Guess who that benefits? It doesn't benefit the club that's buying or the club that's selling. It benefits the agents. You could then say, you know what? Rio Ferdinand really is a 28 million pound player. Alan Smith really is. I, I can't remember the he went to Manchester United. Of course, he, he broke his leg and was never the same player again. Uh, but Leeds United and their problems is a big... Uh, is a big part of this uh, story. Downtown Money Waster leaves a comment. Will Mendy even walk into the starting lineup? Great question. I don't think he does. I think Mangala's played very well. I think Dean Michaelis is clearly Manchester City's most reliable defender over the last 15 months. Although Vincent Company, the captain, who had an off here last season, even by his own admission, seems to be back at that level. It's only been two matches. Again, I think Ode Mendy was spot to keep him away from United and to... Make sure, at least on paper, Valencia paid what they owed Manchester City. You you can't default on a transfer payment, right? That's that's another thing. So these these are examples. Clubs having to have fire sales. Look at QPR right now, having to move guys out of the club. I mean, they played Charlie Austin yesterday, and he scored for them as they came back and won. But they they weren't they weren't playing on playing Charlie Austin. They want. They're selling. Him. Although he's in the shop window, everyone knows what he can do. Premier Premier League clubs could use him. Maybe a top Premier League club could use him. Maybe uh, Liverpool doesn't need any more strikers. Maybe Manchester United could use Sterling. Maybe Spurs could use another striker to complement Harry Kane or spell out Harry Kane. So that those are the, those are some of the issues around. The window shutting on a certain date. So if you're a club in financial distress, and actually Manchester City was in this position in two thousand eight before Sheikh Mansour rescued the team through Ashton Chinawatra. The question was, okay, was Manchester City going to have to have to sell a bunch of players? Instead, what happened was Chinawatra said, "I'll find an owner. Let's buy these two guys before, the, before I sell the club." There's these two really. Bargain guys, ones at Espanyol, and others at Hamburg. Well, let's go get these guys. Uh, they were Vincent Company and Pablo Zabaleta. the core of uh, Manchester City's champ title winning teams to come in, 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 uh, four years later, six years later. But uh, the point being that Shinna Walker was trying to sell a club, and there was this, this temptation to kind of just dump players, but instead, what ended up happening is he bought. Uh, company in Zabaleta. He didn't know when he was going to close the deal with Sheik Monster. And actually the deal hadn't had been initiated when those two guys bought. Uh, and it sold Chorluca uh, to uh, Spurs. It brought Sean to Ryan Phillips back to that club and that transfer. But the, the thought was, okay, we have to we have to buy a bunch of guys before the deadline because the club has to maintain its value so I can sell the club. So this is another another issue. An owner who might want to sell a club, meaning to buy players for a window in order to maintain the value. I, I think Everton f- faced this last season. Bill Ketred's been trying to get investors, trying to, trying to sell that club forever now. They have had Romelo Lukaku on loan the previous season from Everton. they had Gareth Barry on loan the previous season from Manchester City. they had had uh, Del Feo on loan the previous season from Barcelona. Guess what? Everton, in order to keep the club's value high for a fifth place finish, overpaid for Lukaku and Barry by any objective standard. In order to keep them at the club and keep the club's value high, and then had a clause in Delphine's loan deal where, if at a certain date he reverted back to Everton, they they they, uh, they were obligated. Or Barcelona was obligated to sell them to to Everton, which they now don't. It's now an Everton player. It's now on Everton's books, not on Barcelona's books. So those are some of the pressures that owners face, and they have to do it by August 31st. Because if you want to sell the club between September 1st and December 31st, you can't do anything to upgrade your squad. You can't do anything to enhance the feel of your club. So, ostensibly, the transfer window exists for competitive reasons, but it has all these other implications. Key Morty leaves the comment. This, this is great. I'm a Blackpool supporter. We haven't had a transfer window for at least six years now. Six years. Kill me now. Yeah, so then the other thing with the transfer window is owners like the oysters. If you're not aware of the situation at Blackpool? You should be. They have possibly the worst owners anywhere on the planet that own a football club. And there have been offers, there have been people who wanted to invest in that club, wanted to buy that club. The Oistings use the transfer window every year to sell players, flip players, and basically buy cheaper players. So they can cut their wage bill. Blackpool, since they sold Charlie Adam, DJ Campbell, uh, they had Jason Punch on no, the He wasn't the good player that year in the Premier League. And obviously, he's outstanding. I mean, he's, he's turned into quite a player for Mr. Fallis. Charlie Adam is one of my favorite players to watch in the Premier League. So they've had those players. They haven't reinvested in the squad. They had Matty Phillips. Sold them to QPR. Didn't reinvest that money in the squad. Matty Phelps is a really good player. He, uh, he's a premier league level player. He spent most of his career in the championship. They didn't reinvest that money in the squad. they got other guys. Tom Ince Didn't reinvest that money in the squad. So Blackpool is a disaster. And there are clear uh, there are clear reasons why owners like the Oystens Are able to manipulate this system, this transfer window, to get the the desired benefit. I appreciate uh, uh, G. Morty's comment about the uh, Blackpool knowledge. (laughs) I try my best to keep up with every every club in England, especially one with Blackpool's history in Lancashire. What a what a what a great club! What a historic club! Re championed several times in the 1950s in, in the core of that 1950 England World Cup team, 1954 England team uh, that actually lost to Hungary, that lost home and, home and away to Hungary. Uh, it was still a great team, though. Blackjack Dan says, This is crazy. I had no idea there's so much of backstory. It's like an international soap opera. I agree. I mean, I think that there, there are clear, clear reasons why this, this window, this whole system exists, which is agent pressure. And, club, uh, and, and, of course, clubs, I think, are, are, are not necessarily comfortable with it. They play within the rules. And the media. The media loves it. I mean, think about this. August 31st, the transfer window shuts. Or September 1st, whenever it shuts this year. Then for the next three months, you're going to be reading in, 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 in the British press. You'll be reading, especially in the rags, the shiny sheets, like the Metro and like the Express. Such and such linked with su- such and such a team. Such and such as linked with Chelsea. Such and such as linked with Aston Villa. Such and such as linked. with underway. You'll be reading that for the next four months. January first, transfer window opens, and your expectation is that these players are uh, are signed. Here's another point about the transfer window. One that I neglected to make earlier. There seems to be this 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 mindset, this mentality that the big clubs especially have to sign something new, something shiny, something that's different. I, I, I see this all the time with, with the big clubs. I'll give you a couple of examples, recent examples. Was there a football related reason why Chelsea had to sign quadrado? Well, they had Willian. Willian's a player that they signed because they wanted to hijack him from the Spurs. They didn't want him going to to the rival. They didn't sign Sala in the next window because they didn't want him going to go uh, to Liverpool. But Quadrada. Chelsea's pushing for a title. Because the win- transfer window's open, and there are expectations around supporters that you sign players when they're chasing a title, they're expect- and, the- and the transfer window is open, there's expectations among the media that, wow, Jose Mourinho may be standing pat. How could he not sign any new players when the window is open, when he is in a neck-and-neck battle, at least at that point in time, with Manchester City? So he has to sign something. So he signs a contract. him. he hasn't produced. Same window, Manchester City, who has Ed Jetta, an accomplished goal scorer, who's won three league titles, one at Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga, two with Manchester City. Kind of uh, people don't like Jekyll's style. They, 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 they say he's a lazy player. They're very critical of him. He scored, he scored, he scored a lot of important goals. He scored a lot of important goals for that club, Manchester City. Same window, Boney. They sign him because he's a shiny new thing. There is nothing in Wilfred Boney's body of work. That would indicate he's better than Ed and Dzeko. But he was younger. A couple years younger. Not that much younger. But is he worth, if you look at Dzeko's, uh, uh, the, the fee for Dzeko that Manchester City paid initially was $27 million. They seem to have gotten about 10 or $12 million a bit back now from Roma. I'm not sure the exact amount. So $15 million net loss on Dzeko. Which is fine because Jekyll, Jekyll, won City two league titles. Manchester City has won either of those titles if Jekyll's not on that team. I can tell you that as a Man City supporter. Full we'll stop. That you can say that about a lot of guys, right? I mean, obviously, I, I don't think I don't think Manchester City wins the first title we won without Kyle Clichy. Believe it or not, he's a guy haven't talk about. That. that was a seven million pound buy that summer from Arsenal because he was in the last year of his his contract, and I told Bengal he wasn't going to resign got him on the cheap. We want to tie it. He was very good that first year with us. Hasn't been so good since, but uh, we got one really good year out of him. Another example of Banger dumping a player uh, and eventually making sense, uh, Fabregas seems to fit this pill or not re-signing Fabregas, RVP certainly, Alex Song. We'll see what Alex Song does with West Ham there. Um, But he didn't have much success at Barcelona. Uh, back Back to my overall point though. So there's this expectation you have to sign a shiny new thing. Well, Manchester City has to show its supporters it's chasing a title. Chaco is kind of old and stale, right? We need some freshening up. So you sign Bonet. Doesn't contribute anything. Scores one goal, which was against Swansea. Well, he scored a goal against West Brom. That was against the 10-man West Brom, sorry. So he scored one goal against 11 men the rest of the season, which was against the team he had, he had come from. Manchester City paid all kinds of money. Now there's a sense that you need something new and shiny again. Chelsea, the City, the champions, They go out and hijack this Pedro deal from from Manchester United. Although, I have to say, signing Pedro, I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's so fantastic, and I'm embarrassed by this when I'm admitting this publicly. There are people who were in the press box a couple years ago who heard me make this comment and laughed at me. I said to folks, I don't know that Neymar gets into the Barcelona uh, team right away. He'll get in eventually. Eventually, he's going he's gonna to be he's going to be there. Might take him three or four months because Pedro's that good. Okay, Neymar was great from the beginning. I, I really thought that Pedro was. Then I mean, the way I looked at it, Pedro had won a couple of World Cups. Or sorry, he'd won a couple of Euros. He'd won a World Cup. He'd won a couple Champions Leagues. Not too shabby for a player no one talks about. It. Yeah, he was kind of a role player in Barcelona, but he did that role perfectly. He's a winner. So anyway, Chelsea's got him now. But Chelsea, Chelsea have to look like they're freshening things up because they've started the season poorly, and because he wanted to go to Manchester United. So that's why they went out and they signed him. So that's that's my that's my sense on that. Let's get a couple more of your uh, your comments um, uh from Blaszkowski, okay, so you have discussed – so have you discussed yet if the window should close before the season kicks off or not? That's a hot topic. Yes, um, uh, obviously you joined us late, and thank you for the comment. Yes, the window should shut. As I said um, earlier, August 7th, before the August 8th kickoff of the Premier League. August 13th, before the August 14th kickoff of the Bundesliga. Uh, let's see, uh, La Liga starts tomorrow, so uh, it should shut today. Serie same thing. Now, France should have shut. France started with a Friday game, right? August 6th should have shut on. Uh, oh, sorry. August 7th should have shut on August 6th. Or you just keep the window open. You don't have this August 31st deadline. You keep the window open all the way until March 31st. Those are the two solutions. Because right now, agents hold clubs hostage. And, and the month of August is a wasted month of football. And the media covers the sport and covers games from the perspective of Who's this, who's this team gonna sign? Who are they gonna sell? Is this guy going? Is this guy coming? That's the way we're consuming our football in August. Those of us who love this sport, it's terrible. The gaffer says, what's the best solution to avoid transfer windows? What should the alternative be? Again, I think it's one of two. They close the window, right before season begins. We're talking about European ones. we can talk about MLS and ASL, and USL in a minute. For those of us, those of you listening in the United States, concerned about our league. Our leagues seem to have a better, a little bit better system than the European leagues. But um, right. One of the few things we do better in football than, than Europe. Um, or, you, again, you keep the keep the window open until March 31st. If there's international restrictions that FIFA puts in place, you at least allow transfers from within a, a, a country. So, you, you can allow transfers from League 1 to Championship, Championship to Premier League, Championship clubs down to League 1. And, and uh, and all of that. Now, if you shut the transfer window before the season, I think you have to allow for emergency emergency loans. But that's a, a case-by-case basis, and that does not benefit the agents. It does not uh, fuel media speculation. Don Garbage, I know what that's a reference to, Maybe we can transfer all the crap teams out of my league at the end of each season since we don't have Pro Raw transfer the best teams in from NASL. Yeah, uh, Chicago, Chicago Fire. They've, they've made their bid to, to, to uh, be relegated to NASL now over the course of many seasons. The like Sean Maloney has been transferred to, to uh, Hull City, I believe. Yet another DP. Chicago has actually signed more DPs, I believe, than any other club in MLS history. And none of those DPs, with the exception of Guatemala Blanco, who, by the way, was fantastic, but that was the last time Chicago men anything in MLS. Last time they were any good, when he was on the team. Have, have have lasted for a cup of coffee? Freddy a cup of coffee in Chicago. Sean Maloney now, Papa. Oh, how about uh, how about uh, Nere Castillo? On and on and on. I, I know there's a list somewhere. Uh, some Chicago Fire fan. Can can uh, provide that. So uh, MLS's system is, is interesting because I think for a long time single entity propped up the teams at the bottom of the uh, of the uh, league, but single entity is almost a myth now because MLS has a, a situation where uh, Toronto, Orlando, Seattle. New York and LA are all spending over 11 million on player salaries this year. Clubs like Colorado and Columbus and Chicago, in the third largest TV market in the country, spend less than 4 million on player salaries. So it's not quite that balanced league that we like to believe MLS is, and they like to still represent themselves as. Is there more competitiveness in in, uh, NASL? Right now there is, although. I think the way spending is going in NASL, you're seeing the Cosmos and the Rowdies begin to outspend people. And it's it's entirely possible that they will... Actually, Ottawa spends... Ottawa and Edmonton spend a lot of money, too, but it's... it's there are restrictions, and this is another whole thing around transfer. There are restrictions around having a team in Canada in U.S.-based leagues that restrict how those teams can, can intake players. Toronto has to spend more for players than... Uh, the U.S. teams, because they, 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 they don't have that kind of basic domestic players that, um, that, that uh, the U.S. teams have. Although Toronto is maybe the, the greatest city to live in the world, so they can trap foreign players maybe more easily than a lot of the U.S. cities can. Same thing with Vancouver. So those are two of the most five most liberal cities in the world, according to uh, whatever uh, I think it was The Economist I read uh, last week. But um, getting back to the point about Canadian teams in U.S. leagues, this is, this, this is great for this transfer discussion. Edmonton and Ottawa in NASL, they are not able to – Canadian players don't count as domestic players in the NASL, except for those two teams. So if Edmonton wants to trade a Canadian player to San Antonio, for instance, for an American player, it counts as a foreign player for San Antonio, and they're not going to make the trade because you only have seven foreign player spots in NASL. Whereas in MLS, you have eight and you can trade the slots. Orlando currently has 12 foreign players. I'm not sure that was the best idea in the first year of the league. They don't have many guys with a lot of MLS experience, but anyway, Orlando is kind of that director of Florida, they're a multicultural town. It's very appealing to the fans there to have Honduran DP, have a Colombian DP, and have a Brazilian DP. Brazilian DP, of course, is cacao. people are going to be watching wherever, But uh, I, I think from a marketing standpoint, it's important to have a Honduran player and to have a Colombian player locally. Uh, Whether that's helped them on the field is a whole other issue. I don't think it has, but again, they're in Florida, they're in multicultural metropolitan area, and they they needed those players in year one. But I think the U.S. leagues have primary and secondary windows, the ability to make trades within the league up until a certain date, uh, a deadline that... um, and because the seasons end at a certain point in, well, actually now NASL season runs as long as MLS season because of their break and their uh, they start later. But USL season will end, and because the window is open, guys can play a full season in USL and then move to NASL or MLS teams. I like that. That 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 doesn't happen in Europe, where guys can play. Let's say there's a team that's mid table in the championship. Let's say. Hypothetically, Darby's made table in the championship this year. They don't get promoted. They're in 12. And somebody's pushing for the title on March 20th, and they want Will Hughes. Great creative midfielder for Darby. Maybe at that point, Arsenal buys him, Spurs buy him, Or someone's pushing for fourth. Somebody's pushing for European... Uh, um, Steven Brandt, one of uh, and if you haven't listened to the Yellow Card po- Podcast, you need to. Stephen Brandt's fantastic. Uh, really one of the, the, the guys who gets football at all levels in this country. Up there in Buffalo area. But as a fan, you're supposed to hate your transfers because you wouldn't do it on football Manager. <laughs> Absolutely right. That's true. Okay. So let's talk about management games and how that's fueled this whole transformation. Football manager and FIFA. And when I, when I sit, even in, in the press box in Orlando, Orlando City games, MLS games, and we sit and talk about football manager and FIFA, we sit with other journalists, with other writers, and we're talking about, well, you know, I bought such and such. I, I was playing with Stoke, and I bought this one, in this window, and that, and, and you know, it, 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 those management simulation games are driven by the transfer window. And I've done it. I play football manager. And I take my time around August 29th and August 30th. I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm just, and then I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll quit the game for a little bit so I can think about my transfers. Trying to extend my time. And then once you get past the transfer deadline, it's like, ah, well, we just want to get through all these games until the next transfer window. When I used to follow college football, college football games were like that too. Where you would just try and get through all the... All, 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 all the seasons because recruiting is what was fun, right? In the game, games were built around recruiting. The, the football games now are built around transfer rules. They're literally fantasy football games. Football manager is built around transfers. FIFA is built around transfers. FIFA is absolutely built, the manager mode of FIFA is built around transfers and around scouting and doing all the things that, that involve transfers. So that's, that, 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 that's really kind of the thing that drives it and then that drives the whole media the whole media frenzy around this uh, this sport and around the transfers. A couple other quick points and your comments have been great tonight. A couple other important points I think that the media and football writers even though right now they're assigned to cover transfers and they're assigned to cover. Rumors. We see a desire once again in football, in journalism, and among you, the consumer, the fans, to see long form content, to see more analysis, to see more intellect in analyzing this sport. There's been a desire, there's been a shift back towards long form content. There's been a shift back towards intellectual intellectual thought around the sport. Tactics. Michael Costell popularized that in the last couple of years. I think a lot of football writers, myself included, I include myself in this, and I include our, our proprietor, Christopher Harris, that World well, talk Talk this. Maybe I shouldn't speak for him, but I include him in this thought. Would like to get back to analyzing football matches in August and not having to be chasing this rumor and that rumor. And in January, it's even worse because you come out of the Christmas period. Well, again, I'm talking about the Premier League. I guess we're focusing on England more than any other place. Coming out of the Premier, out of the Christmas period, Boxing Day games, New Year's Day. All these big matches, you know, it's a celebration of football, that festive period. And then all of a sudden you're, you're like, well, this team had a bad Christmas period, they need to sign this one, that one, and you're more focused on that for the next month than on the actual results. And then once January is over, the season is what what's going on in the season is very clear. Teams that are mid-table teams are mid-table teams, teams that are fighting relegation are fighting relegation, teams at the top are fighting for the title of the championship. And yet you kind of miss that whole month because you're covering. They're too busy chasing transfer and transfer scores. And then there's overreaction to every result. Well, uh, Spurs lost this match, they gotta go out and sign another midfielder. Everton lost, they gotta sign this guy. Spend, spend, spend. That's the mentality, unfortunately. Here's, an, here's a great question from, from Stephen Brandt again. Has football manager ruined football support? Wow, that might be a topic for a whole show. Have to get a guest, uh, a couple of guests on to discuss that. And maybe Stephen, maybe you're the guy that comes on to <laughs> we'll discuss that. My goodness, that is a very, very good, uh, good question. And you know what? I think it has to a certain extent. I think this is just my snap thoughts after getting that question. I think Football Manager has created these artificial expectations around being able to sign this one or being able to sign that guy and somehow also, uh, and, and, the, and the, the game is incredibly realistic, but still, being able to turn over squads quickly and sell five guys, and sign five, five other guys in, in a window and still be okay in the game because you do something to manipulate things in the game. It doesn't work like that in football. It doesn't work like that. You can't turn over your entire squad in, in July and August and, and expect to be good in September and October. Several clubs, I mean, the Spurs learned that the year that they sold bail, running seven new guys. Or ABB, he didn't, he didn't have a chance that year, and regardless of what you think of him as a manager. He didn't have a chance. I really think um, spending late in the transfer window in the, in, in, in the 2012-13 season kind of sent Manchester City down the tubes in, in our title defense uh, that year. I think uh, spending, not spending... And having a set squad this season has, has gotten City out of the gates quickly. And I, and I think if you look at se- several other examples through the years, you have to keep a squad settled. And football manager has created this expectation that you can sign this one or that one. And, you know, I even, I've even made the mistake in the games my, myself. January comes... And you, you always get these emails or these notes in the game, well, oh, supporters are upset about this, supporters they don't are unhappy with this, owner isn't happy with this player, he's transfer listing him. And then you and then I'm thinking, my god, I've got to keep my owner and the game happy. I don't wanna get fired with this manager of of, uh, of Burnley or whoever I'm managing in the game. I don't want the owner to sack me. I've got I've gotta buy a player in January. And so he creates this So the fans are used to playing that game, and it creates this expectation, you know what? Uh, Burnley fans are actually great. Burnley's a bad example. I'm a Blackburn, let's say I'm a Blackburn Rovers fan, neighboring club in Lancashire. We need to sell somebody now because this guy isn't performing and we need to buy this person. Creates this unrealistic expectation because people are playing this game. So yeah, actually, Stephen, I, I think you make a very good point. Football Manager, uh, it's a great game, it's a lot of fun, but it's created this... I mean, I, and I, when I used to follow the NFL closely, i hear this a lot. Oh, well... It's like playing Madden. You know, Matic has created this, this artificial expectation around fans that you can just sling the balls uh, forward and you never have to have a running game. And Football Manager has done, it had its own kind of impact. Um, football Manager, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, 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 is the kind of the lead title from, say, the sports. It's one really prominent game. Sega doesn't make game consoles anymore. They make uh, a couple of games, and this is one of them. But it is an amazing game. It is so amazing that several clubs... Had used it for scouting. Everton had signed a contract to deal with the uh, football manager when they, uh, when they were, uh, when David Moyes was the manager there. And in fact, in the interest of full disclosure, I used to provide the data for the football manager 2008, 2009, and 2010 around uh, USL, USL 2, or USL 1, the, the second division, uh, what's, now, uh, what's now the equivalent of NESL. So Charleston, Rochester, they were all in that league, and Carolina Real Hawks. My was definitely one of the strikers. I-, I used to provide player data, and it was very subjective. It was based on my view of each player on that team. And if there were guys you liked, you might bump them up a little bit. I mean, I was pretty pretty straight with it, but a couple players I liked on Charleston, probably gave him higher ratings. Uh, Asi Alonso was one of them, actually. I gave him a ridiculously high rating. It was justified. Once he went to Seattle, it was justified. been one of the best players in MLS the last couple of years. Uh, let's wrap up with some of your comments here. Madden isn't as bad for Stephen Charles Brand. I, I, probably true. Probably true. Uh, football manager has kind of changed the way we think. Um, Don Garbage says, uh, and I love your avatar, by the way. That's a great classic picture of, of Garber. I'll have to admit that I like the transfer window because teams have to deal with what they have for a certain period of time. Before the window reopens, I prefer that instead of teams being able to make moves all season, especially the Richard team. That's a that's a very that's a fair point, and that's a that's a good point about the Richard teams because it is true that Chelsea and Manchester City and Manchester United and Arsenal and let's put Spurs in that category. Liverpool, obviously, um, and Spurs. Let's put those six teams in England in that category. They are able to spend more than any other club. Now, now Spurs, of course, um, make a, uh, are run on a, on a scale where they, they they make money, and so they don't spend as much on transfers. They sell players and buy players. When they're in their new stadium, they're going to have very, very deep pockets. Spurs are going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, in English football. But those six clubs, they have unlimited spending power compared to the rest of the league. Uh, and then you would, you would say baby Newcastle, suddenly have pretty good spending power compared to the to the rest of the league once you get past those top six. But yeah, that's a very good point. And, and I think um, maybe that's where you get into um, the uh, closing the window. Maybe under, under your scenario, you still close the window right before the season begins, but you do have that secondary window, which uh, I said should be abolished. But you could have that window from January 1 to maybe February 15th. Or January one to December fifteenth to uh, Jan- January thirty something like that. Um, but that that's that is a very very good point. So with that, all of that, and I thank you for your your interaction and and uh, participation tonight's broadcast. That's it uh, this week for divers and cheats. And let me uh, let, before we go, let me give you a quick little plug for Ravel. Who we've had. And I'm not used to doing this alone. I'm not used to playing solo. Usually we're going to have guests or multiple guests on the show. Uh, this week this was a unique topic that uh, came up at the last minute and decided to fly solo on it. Uh, if you're enjoying this episode of Divers and Cheats, it's time to give a shout out to our sponsor who made this entirely possible, TV. If you're not familiar with Ravel, it's a completely new way of experiencing sports on TV. You're going to find this out again on Sunday when Christopher Harris and I, Paul Everton, and Manchester City. Gave the, goodness of the, park. the concept is get simple. Next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on television but you're tired of the announcers because they're biased against your the team or simply aren't that good, press the mute button and then head over to Ravel.tv to listen for a real fan's audio broadcast during the game. And if there isn't one available, you can create your own broadcast by switching on your mic and calling the match. It's easy. Sign up for free and try it out. You can do it in a matter of five seconds. Stephen Brandt, who I know is listening who's interacted with us, Stephen, Daniel, Forstein, and myself threw ourselves on Ravel Monday night and had a pretty lively discussion about the U.S. Pro League. So it's really good. With Ravel, you can listen to your broadcast on your desktop through your iOS app, or now through your mobile browser. Plus, you can join in the conversation, as many of you have done today, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. So, take a moment to thank our sponsor for making this episode of Divers and Sheets possible today by heading over to Ravel.tv where it's your team and your call. So, Sunday, Everton, Manchester City. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have an NASL broadcast from, from St. Petersburg, a game between, um, between Tampa Bay and New York, big game, in two of the teams we mentioned. Um, Don Garbage, by the way, before we go, uh, says, yeah, I think an entire show on Football Manager may be necessary. I'll play it for a few dozen hours to make sure it's worth it and report back. Um, look, we could do entire shows on the football manager. It's it's uh, it's part of the culture around the sport now. We could we could talk endlessly about football manager, but I'm glad Stephen uh, brought up that talk, uh, that issue of the football manager on the show. So once again, thank you for listening. You please uh, follow me at KKFLa 737 on Twitter. Um, you can send me a friend request on Facebook at, at my name. I'm not on Facebook as much as I'm on Twitter. Not nearly as much as I'm on Twitter, but I am on every now. Uh, you can friend me, send me a friend request on Facebook. Uh, follow me on Google Plus, or send me a friend request to how it works on Google Plus. Uh, uh, same same thing, Carmen Christenauer. I'm there often on Google Plus. Uh, there's some great message boards, by the way, the Premier Plus. If you want to get, this is another thing that happens because we're chasing transfer rumors. You end up on message boards on Google Plus. You end up on Reddit. Those of us who work in this business, like myself, to chase transfer rumors, spend all of August doing it. Looking forward to spending September and October. Thinking about football, not about transfers. Um, but uh, you can you can follow me on Google Plus and then of course Twitter at KKFLA737. Follow World Soccer Talk at World Soccer Talk and Ravel TV at Ravel TV. Uh, and again, Ravel.tv is the website. And thank you once again for listening to this episode of Divers and Cheats. We'll be back with you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip.